This episode of Spotlight is brought to you by presenting sponsor, Busey Bank. Welcome to Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Wernett. Today I'm joined by three local nonprofits, the Chicago Sinfonetta, Casa of River Valley, and the Three Fires Council. watching Spotlight. And joining me now from the Chicago Sinfonetta is Blake Anthony Johnson. And so nice to welcome you back to the set. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, last year we were both celebrating our 35th anniversary. This year's your 36th season. So let's get a few highlights. Let's talk about the theme. What's going on? So the theme of our season is Resonate. And really what we're striving to do is be an orchestra and be in service to everyone in Chicago. And so you'll see new programs, you'll see a lot of new guest artists, but really the idea is just to keep people on their toes and really reimagine what they think of when they think of a symphonic experience. Okay, all right, that's kind of cool, right? <laughs> now you, um, you have been always performing or for a long time performed at the Wentz right here in Naperville. Mm -hmm. But you've also always performed as well in Chicago, but you've recently moved where you're located. So where are you and why is that important? So this is for the best of reasons. We've essentially grown out of our home. So we've doubled in size in my tenure. So this is actually my fifth season with the wow. Chicago Sinfonietta. Seems like yesterday, I right? I know, time is going by so fast. <laughs> but it's a great team, and we have a great roster of musicians. And obviously, my, my partner, Mayan Chen, our music director, is also just fantastic. So essentially what this means is we'll have our home at Wentz Concert Hall, but we also have the new concert hall as a resident orchestra and auditorium theater. So it's, wow. yeah, this is great. That building was really meant to be the first place for Chicago to experience art and so it's very much in our you know art mission of really being in service to to all so it's a great home and we're really looking forward for people to see the re-rigged stage <laughs> it's going to look really different than what they've seen in the past but you know it has an amazing history it's a louis sullivan um, and outler building so there's just a lot of history there and obviously yeah. given the symphonietta's history we're just really excited that we'll be able to reach more people okay okay and when are you going to be there when's the first concert yeah. so our opening night is actually here in Naperville first, October 4th, and then our opening night in the new concert hall is October 7th. Okay, that's exciting. October's gonna be a big month. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, now remind us, because I think it's important for people, we talk about a symphonetta. What's a symphonetta, and just kind of why is that different than an orchestra per se? I always joke, so orchestra, philharmonic, symphony, they're interchangeable in some ways, but okay. historically it's the size. So this idea that the Sinfonietta is a smaller symphonic ensemble that is really more nimble. So you'll see we commission a lot of pieces, a lot of female composers get commissioned by us, a lot of BIPOC composers get commissioned by us, but we are able to do pieces that large orchestras just in what makes sense because they need to utilize 111 players. <laughs> and for us, we, we can choose how big we are. So we're 73 kind of set tenured players and then we have of course a roster of musicians that help us for like opening night which is smaller ones so you're going to see a lot of musicians on stage okay that's good and i think that's a good little bit of education for all of us right so now you you have a lot of interesting programs one of them is your artist in residence and we've talked about that before and i love peter cottontail which i just i can say that name at least three times because it's just a fantastic name but he's a grammy award-winning artist he's going to be the artist in residence with you say a little bit about you know what he's going to be doing and, and what that means for the symphonetta to have an artist in residence 
the goal always, I think, when we're talking about creating art is to have as many voices at the table as possible so we can reach as many people as possible. And I think when you think of an orchestra, you should really think of it as a tool. You know, we do not specialize in classical music, we specialize in symphonic music. And so having someone like Peter Cottontail, who's the, you know, he manages and produces Chance the Rapper and Yeba and Third Story, like he's connected to this larger group of artists and genres that we want to incorporate in our season. And what we're hoping is, is to demystify a little bit of what orchestras actually can do and do on a regular basis. We do tons of genre bending performances and Peter Cottontail, I think, as an amazing artistic collaborator, will push us to do even more. So, you know, expect, you know, a few stars to come join us every once in a while, but also just he has a breadth of, of work that we're really excited to incorporate. So I would imagine, you know, with this artist in residence, I, you know, and particularly given you're trying to really press out a little bit with a genre, a couple of things would happen, right? One would be that you would invite a different audience to maybe come experience the symphonetta. But I also imagine it's got to be fun and different for those 73 musicians, right? Absolutely, because there's a lot of um, plug and play, if you will. We workshop a lot of pieces that the artist in residence is thinking about. We come up with really creative projects that they are really interested in and they get real feedback. It's really rare for uh, artists and especially a composer to actually talk to an orchestra and say, what about my writing works? What doesn't? What can I do mm. better? And so it's a learning curve for both parties. And you know, I, I love it because it really demystifies what drives art, which is people. It's just people. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And I do love that because I mean, I, I often wonder like if you were sitting in the audience and you hear your composition, not that I will ever have that experience, play it, that's gotta be an incredible, incredible thing, but then to actually hear what the musicians thought about it. Was it easy? Was it hard? Was it difficult? You know, all of that. And it might be simple things, you know, for our last artist in residence, the concertmaster said, hey, this would be awesome if it was in a different key for these 20 reasons. And she said, I can do that. And so just simple things like that, it gives a, a lot of space to, to grow together. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. I Well, and I like the, you know, you, you've talked a lot, and I think this is an important component of the work that you're doing, is this notion of inclusion and, and all voices at the table. And I think having that safe space to be able to provide feedback back and forth, right? I'm glad you said this, because, you know, our mission statement is championing equity, diversion, diversity, inclusion, and belonging by creating community through both symphonic experiences. And the focus really, obviously, we want everything to be an experience, but that belonging piece is really important, too. This idea that we don't just have a new composer come and we play their piece and then we say, okay, goodbye. Yeah. The Artists in Residence program really allows us to say, this is your home now. This concert hall is your home. This orchestra is your home. What can we create together? And I would say most amazing pieces that people here come from that type of dynamic. Yeah, that's so interesting because I'm not sure how people would think. I, you know, I think before you talked about it, I would think of an artist in residence just kind of almost like a guest, right? Yeah. You know, just a guest here, and you're going to play, and it's going to be cool. But that's a very different experience than the one you're describing. Especially, you know, this season, a lot of what we're focusing on is immersion, immersion of new technology, immersion of new genres. So, for instance, this last weekend, we had our music director Mei Yin and our artist in residence Peter Cottontail get holograms made of them because you'll see some some surprises this season of how do you deal with augmented reality and 360 and you know really using technology in creative ways. So when I say we do projects, everything from education programs to teach kids how to compose new works, but also some crazy things that we have lined up. That's wonderful. Now, as we wrap up, Blake Anthony, you have been uh, 
I, I, honored. I mean, let's just call it what it is. You've been really honored for a lot of the work that you've been doing recently of 4 into 40. I know there's a lot of, lots of pieces around that, but, but 4 into 40. Um, and I know that you, that's important. It's important, but for, I know, I think for you, it's important for the orchestras. So just as we close out, talk a little bit about that because they're great honors and congratulations on those. But what does it mean to you and, and for the orchestra? I appreciate that. I remind people, I'm really the figurehead of a much larger community and kind of army of amazing talent. And so, though I love the recognition because obviously there is a particular role that I play, I think what I've enjoyed most about this is it really shows people that you can have rigor, you can have innovation, you can have growth that's you know double the size of our original uh, blueprint and imprint, and it be done in a way that's still loving, that's still inclusive, that still has diverse voices at the table. And so, though I am really a proud of what we've done, even more recently, we won the Dunn Award. We're the only orchestra in the world that has programming that's 50% female representation on a regular basis. So I'm really proud of those things, but I'm really proud of like how it's done. People really do feel like the Sinfonietta is theirs, no matter if they're in Chicago or if they're in Japan or if they're in Oregon. So like that part, I think, is I'm really happy about the team's work and just due diligence and doing it the right way, which is, it takes a lot more time and, and, and patience. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, and I, I, I love how you're the only one to have that because women are 50% of the population, <laughs> so it's lovely that we're represented in that way. So well done to you all. <laughs> we're excited for your 36th season, and we wish you all the best with that. Peter Cottontail, I mean, you've got amazing musicians and a wonderful place to play here with Wentz Hall at North Central College. Thank you so much for highlighting the work. We're happy to be here. Absolutely. And if you are interested in learning more about the Chicago Sinfonetta, please go and visit their website. We're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned. We're coming right back with more Spotlight. Growing your family, opening your own business, retiring to travel, leaving your legacy. At Busey Bank, we know there's a lot to look forward to and a lot of planning along the way. Celebrate your life's milestones by putting your money to work. Busey Bank, building business, growing wealth since 1868. Proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini. Member FDIC. We live in a safe community, but not a crime-free community. If you see something, say something. Be a Naperville Crime Stopper. If you're just tuning in, you're watching Spotlight. I'm your host, Jay Mournette, and joining me now from Casa of River Valley is Meg Pennington. Welcome to the show, Meg. Thanks for having me, Jane. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about Casa. What exactly does Casa stand for and what does it do? So Casa stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. We're a national organization, but Casa River Valley specifically encompasses the jurisdiction of Will and Grundy County, children in those areas. Our mission is to take volunteers from our local communities to work as an advocate for children that are in the judicial foster care system within those counties. Okay, and so that's kind of who you serve. Is there an age range with that, or is it all children? So the children that we serve range, range from the age of zero to 21, and they are almost always typically in the foster care system. Okay, and is that that's where they've been 
placed, yes? Correct. They've been placed um, through no fault of their own. Again, these children are victims of abuse and neglect, and unfortunately, they and their families are in really bad situations. And this is really when ACASA comes into play to be, you know, somebody that a child can count on. Um, they can be really the voice for that child. Okay, so walk us through a little bit more, you know, what a, a court-appointed advocate would do. Like, what, how, how, would that, how would they engage with the uh, child and, and what's really kind of their key role? Okay, so a court-appointed special advocate, a CASA, is assigned to either a child or several children within a family um, once a case comes into the care of the court. And once a case comes into the care of the court, they're involved from start to finish throughout that entire judicial process. Um, at a minimum, our volunteers visit with the children once a month, but that's at a very minimum. Our volunteers are so dedicated to these kids and they are involved in so many different facets and aspects of their life. These children suffer from physical, um, emotional, social, uh, educational negative effects from what they've endured from their abuse and neglect. And ACASA is really there to help them um, get their life back together and to be a person of support, somebody that they can count on. I'm sure you've heard you know, countless stories of the child welfare system, caseworkers are going in and out, they're you know, maybe in multiple placements. And we ask our advocates to serve um, for the duration of a child's case, which on average can last about two years. So they could really be a source of consistency mm. and support for that child who has a you know, ranging, you know, cast of people coming in and out of their lives. Okay, and so they're really, as you're describing that, Meg, it sounds like, so they're really on the side of the child, no matter what. Correct. That's, so that's their job. Our, one of our things that we pride ourselves on is we are for the child, and we also consider ourselves to be the eyes and ears of the judge who is responsible for overseeing their case. Um, in addition to giving the judge a report on how the child is doing, how the child's fam family and parents are doing, we are also in frequent contact with not only their foster parents or their biological parents, but we're in frequent contact with their schools, their doctors, their counselors. Um, we are in frequent contact with the service providers for the parents who are trying to do services to get their children back home with them. Um, our ultimate goal is to find a forever home for a child, whatever that may look like, whether it's reunification with their, you know, their biological family or they are placed into you know, an adoptive home. But our goal is to really seek out what is best for that child. That's a big responsibility. Our advocates do take on a lot of responsibility in this role, but they have the heart of angels. They are so dedicated to the children that we serve. Um, we are really, really fortunate to have our volunteers because they're truly the heart of CASA. Okay, and you know, I would imagine there's some training that goes with that. There is. Our advocates do undergo an initial uh, two, two and a half week training. It's about 30 to 33 hours, um, which seems to be a lot, but it really is not at all. Um, it's actually a really great training um, if you really, you learn a lot, definitely. And it really equips you to work with these children and their families to really seek out the best possible outcome for them. Okay. Now, I, you know, like all things, it costs money. So where does the funding for CASA come from? So CASA is a nonprofit organization, so we really rely on individual donors. 
um, largely on grants and fundraisers. We just had a big fundraiser this past weekend. We had CASA, um, our first annual Boots and Barbecue event. And our biggest fundraiser is coming up the first weekend of December. That is our CASA Christmas Express train ride. Um, this is our 15th year doing the train ride. And it's a really, really great way for people in the community to come out and support CASA and have a really great time with their kids and family. Yeah, I would, you know, I think uh, that really does kind of speak to it takes a village, right? I mean, you're, you're really extending the village around the children. Well, and especially post-COVID, we really need to make that village a lot bigger. Um, right now, we have over 100 volunteers, and we're currently serving about 375 kids in Will and Grundy County. But unfortunately, that is only about 60% of the children within those areas that could benefit from having a CASA to serve as their guardian ad litem. So in order to be able to serve all of the kids and get to 100% of the children who are able to have a CASA assigned to their case, we desperately need more volunteers. Okay, so say a little bit more about that. If I was listening to you, Mag, and I thought, gosh, I, you know, I'm at a place in my life where I'm able to uh, give that kind of time, what, what would I do? Well, the first thing you can do is go to our website. Um, I know that's gonna be included in this video, and right off the bat, you have an application that you can fill out. It's an online application. Um, and then there is a interview, a background check, um, but, one of the things that you should know about being a CASA volunteer um, is it really doesn't take that much time. Um, we really ask our volunteers to give about, on average, five hours a month, and oftentimes it's a lot less, but really we just ask our volunteers to meet at a minimum for an hour each month with the kids. And when I say meet with the kids, you're not doing anything strenuous. You're baking cookies. You're playing soccer outside in the backyard. You're reading a story, or my favorite, you're snuggling little babies. Um, <laughs> that's really enjoyable. But it's really, most of our volunteers, we actually have a very large percentage of our volunteers that work full time, they have families. So it's not something that, you know, the volunteers, it's not a crazy time commitment for them to, you know, feel Don't like have they have to be to retired. You can still fit that into your regular volunteering exactly. time. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And I would imagine there's a lot of positive feedback on that from the oh, volunteers. There's so much positive. Our volunteers are very, very loyal to our program. Um, I can't speak for other CASA programs, but I know CASA River Valley in general, we place such value on our volunteers. And we really offer a lot of different benefits to our volunteers. We offer a lot of continuing education. We offer volunteer events. Um, we have a quarterly book club that meets. and. It's a really great group. We're very fortunate to have the volunteers that we have. No, that's wonderful. And you obviously are championing hard on behalf of those that can't champion for themselves. So we thank you for that service. Yeah, thank you for letting me speak about our organization. Absolutely. And to find out more about Casa of River Valley, please go and visit their website. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after a few short messages. Busey Bank is proud to partner in building business and growing wealth since 1868. Stay in the know, at home, or on the go with NCTV 17 News Update. This quick recap of everything happening in and around town will be delivered straight to your email inbox for free. Sign up today. Welcome back to Spotlight. And joining me now from the BSA Three Fires Council are Ron and Rochelle. So I'm so glad to have you both on the show, and I love that you come here in uniform. So, Ron, I'm going to start right out with you. What does scouting offer to our young people? 
Well, scouting is a great program. Our mission is to prepare young people for life, basically, and we instill in them uh, the values to make ethical choices over their lifetime. I love that. Succinct, really yep. good. Um, talk a little bit about how you would join Scout. Yeah, the fall season is our busy season for recruitment. So we're out and about right now in the community. You'll see yard signs out. You'll see um, flyers going home in school. So we do a big effort, big push in the fall as kids get back to school. So kids will be invited to a join night. They can fill out applications or they can just go to beascout.org and they can go to the website. They can put in their zip code and it'll take them right to a pack or troop that's in their area associated with their school and it'll get them to the closest one and they can just fill out an application online. Okay, I love that. So now, you know, I'm sort of kind of going back. Tell me the age groups and kind of the levels because there are levels, right? Yeah, yeah. So, our, so our Cub Scout program is kindergarten through uh, fifth grade. So that's a big push right now as kids go back okay. to school. But our Scouts BSA program is basically middle school and high school, 11 through 18. But we also have a couple other programs. We have a venturing program and an exploring program. Venturing is high adventure, but real focus on leadership. That's a, a, been a co-ed program for over 20 years. Okay. And that is uh, 14 to 21 year olds. And exploring is a career-based program. So if you're interested in being in law enforcement, you uh, work with a police department and explore that career. And there's leadership opportunities and fun, of course. And that's also 14 to 21-year-olds co-ed program. And we have a, a Sea Scout program. Uh, this is a program that goes all the way back almost to the beginning of uh, scouting. And uh, it's, it's just that. It uh, introduces kids to... Uh, uh, careers and uh, fun on uh, the on the water. So whether it's uh, Lake Michigan or they do scuba diving, they do canoeing, kayaking, and we have two ships right now in the Three Fires Council. So we're pretty excited about that. And that's yeah. a 14, 14 to 21 year old program as well. Okay, and I love that because I've just learned something new. I don't think I realized that scouting went beyond age 18. So yeah. that's that's a new news flash for yes, me. So absolutely. I like that. Now, Rochelle, you have a scout. How, I do. How, what grade is your scout? So my scout is in fourth grade, but he started when he was a kindergartner. Okay, so yeah. he's being recruited. He came in right from the get-go. Right. I love yes. that. And you and you support and work with them as a volunteer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about the kinds of programs and activities you would work with in your pack, right? Because that's yep. the right yes. age group. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. Well, so with scouting, we always do the same kind of things that people would associate with scouting. We go camping and we go hiking. We develop a love for the outdoors and you learn to fish and things like that but we also have programming that goes beyond that and you can shoot a bow and arrow you can shoot a bb gun you can climb walls and there's a lot of other programming that's even beyond the outdoors things like our stun programs rochelle led one of our day camps this past summer too so all those activities she just described are are opportunities that our Cub Scouts have to go to an entire week of day camp and they get a chance to do archery and rockets and STEM and all the different outdoor activities that you would imagine. But Rochelle was one of the, the leaders of uh, the day camp this year at uh, Cantini. Yes, I was program yeah. director. And it's like you're getting a taste test of everything awesome in Cub Scouting. Yes. Oh. So you're doing a little STEM and you're doing a little nature, you're doing some crafts and you're doing some activities that are games oriented. All of those things in a slam pack five-day week, week for uh, first grade going through fifth grade. That's Absolutely. wonderful. And because you said, Ron, right, I, likely it's not I'm in a, a, a pack. 
when I first sign up that's close to my home. So I'm, I may be meeting kids that I already know in the neighborhood, but I could be meeting other kids, right? But they're still locally. So you're kind of creating yep. that social bonds and, and friendship connector as well, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's usually uh, built around a school. Um, so your kind of school community, and sometimes it's a few schools, but it's mostly neighborhood, and you typically will know a few kids, but you're meeting new friends and new families, and uh, you form lifelong bonds. You know, I, some of my friends from scouting when I was growing up are still, still some of my best friends today. So. Yeah, well, I, and I kind of liked how you talked about you're on an exploration, right? You're, it's a little, trying a little bit of everything, and yes. I think that that probably also along that way you find the kids that the thing that you kind of like and you see another kid that kind of likes the same thing likely it's not there's a little bit yep. more of a kindred spirit there right absolutely yeah. yeah so now you talked a little bit about um well i already learned one unique thing which i didn't know that scouting went 18 to 21 so that was something that i learned but what else would maybe our viewers not know that's unique to scouting these days so one of the newest changes to the uh, bsa program is we opened up all of our programs to girls uh, within the last four years. So that's uh, something that is not everyone in the community knows, but uh, from the kindergarten program all the way through the traditional co-ed programs, the older ones that we talked about before. So as we recruit this fall, we're recruiting boys and girls at the elementary uh, school level. And then the Sea Scout program is a unique one. Uh, the STEM programs that Rochelle talked about, those are all things that are embedded into the program. And then the you know, we, we like to call it fun with a purpose, but we're, you mm. know, can't tell the kids, but they're learning leadership <laughs> and they're learning character as they do right. really fun activities. And that's what we strive to do at all levels and make it age appropriate at every level. Yeah, well, I like that. And I would imagine, too, that if you've got, you know, a, a, a daughter and a son that maybe are only two grades apart, they could be in the same activity Absolutely. together. And I think these days trying to find things that are family friendly, where yes. we're kind of all in it together, that's that's probably Absolutely. very nice. Yeah, right. It's a huge it's a great dynamic. Now, our Cub Scout program has always been a family program, but now we're recognizing the girls and giving them the same recognitions that we've given to the boys for so long. And you know, building on a great program that we know works. Okay. Um, Rochelle, kind of as we, you know, sort of wrap up here, as you think a little bit about the values that scouting really provides our young people, how would you summarize that? I think there are a lot of options that families can go to with their kids. They can go into a sport or a club or some other activity. And that's a very closed knit um, different activity with the people that you're with. When you look at scouting, you're finding that the kids will find belonging and they'll be part of something, um, not just in their school, but then you look a little further and there are other scouts out there. So in their larger district, or they'll go to something and see that there's a larger um, council. And that and they'll find out that there's something even more where it can go, it's national. And then there's World Scouting. They are part of something huge and large and they belong somewhere. Um, they also realize that not only do they belong to this giant, fabulous organization, they find a belonging in their community and their responsibility towards serving the community in um, some kind of food drive or something, or serving in a small way, like picking up trash, 
or they'll find um, that they're developing those leadership skills that you were talking about, but it's not just being in charge, but it's also working together with your other scouts to collaborate and to compromise sometimes. And all of those things that seem to maybe be on the back burner of like a, of a sport or something where you know, you're all following the same rules, these are things where maybe when you are collaborating with a person, um, those skills are being developed just a little bit more and you're honing in just a little bit more on the intricacies of leadership. Love it. Love it. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming by, educating us a little bit, sharing the values of scouting. We really appreciate it. Thank you. For more information about the BSA Three Fires Council, please go and visit their website. I'd like to thank all of my guests for joining us on Spotlight and our friends at Busey Bank for their generous sponsorship of today's show. To learn more about the organizations featured on this episode, please visit our website at nctv17.org. And to stay informed about what's happening in our community, sign up to receive our daily news update and like and follow us on social media. For Spotlight, I'm Jay Mournette. Thanks for watching. This episode of Spotlight is brought to you by presenting sponsor, Busey Bank.